Season two, episode eight. It's the Cup of Mets podcast. I'm Ian Bosnia, riding solo dolo. Robbie V has the night off. Uh, before we get going and dive into what's been a pretty wild uh, Mets week, uh, be sure to give us a follow on Instagram, on Twitter, and on YouTube. We are at Cup of Mets. Again, that is at Cup of Mets on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Uh, also, hit that follow and subscribe button, um, whether it be on uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your favorite podcast content. The New York Mets return home and begin a three-game set with the Philadelphia Phillies tonight. Uh, it'll be Kodai Sanga versus left-hander Ranger Suarez. But uh, before we get uh, going and, and dive into the series uh, in its entirety and preview that, um, the Mets continued their trend. They continued the trend of, hey, let's go home and let's beat up on two good teams in the Tampa Bay Rays and the Cleveland Guardians, and then let's go on the road and let's lose two, uh, four of six to Chicago uh, being the Cubs and the Colorado Rockies. Uh, the Mets lost two of three from both. Um, there was some ugly pitching performances. Um, Justin Verlander to be one of them. Uh, Tyler McGill looked really, really ugly. A very strange start from Kodai Sanga. Um, they did get some good pitching, however, from uh, Max Scherzer and Cookie Carrasco as well. We won't go game by game here in regards to what went wrong specifically when it comes to the losses that occurred in Chicago and Colorado. Um, just to point out a few things, Justin Verlander um, coming off his best start at City Field, which was a Beaver Justin Verlander showdown where he went eight innings, allowed one run, uh, walked none and struck out five, um, goes to Coors Field. And I'm not sure if it was a product of, uh, you know, being in Colorado. Uh, he went five innings, gave up nine hits, Six earned runs, one walk, only struck out two, and the Mets lost 10 to seven. So the offense did put up seven runs. Um, I'm not necessarily concerned when it comes to Justin Verlander. I'll dive into that in a bit. His his velocity, you know, was was there. You know, it's been around the 94, 95 range for much of the season. He has been able to dial it up a little bit, um, as we've seen at some point, 97, 98. Uh, with that said, he's been hovering around that 94, um, 95 mark, sometimes 93, but even that looks harder when it comes in, um, especially from where he throws. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do, um, you know, this weekend when he pitches um, at home. I think that it will be a real telltale start. So far, he's had, um, you know, a good start. Uh, he's made he's made five starts. He's had a good start. He's had a bad start. Good start, bad start. Good start, bad start. So it's a work in progress. Um, when it comes to Tyler McGill, uh, I think that this is a question that I wish Rob was here because I would love his take on what he's seeing from him. But, um, you know, his last two starts after he was really um, somebody that was going five, six innings when a lot of the Mets starters weren't uh, being a reliable arm for them um, over the last two starts. Uh, he threw one game at Wrigley um, and then one game in Colorado um, went three and two thirds in Chicago, six hits, six, uh, six hits, six runs, four of them earned two walks and five Ks. Two of them were home runs. The Mets lost that game seven to two. And then uh, just this past Sunday, ooh, uh, four innings, 10 hits, six runs, four of them earned two walks. However, the Mets lost 11 to 10. And I'll dive into that because um, I had an issue yet again with a uh, Buck Walter maneuver or uh, lack thereof, I should say. And then, you know, despite a, a two and four road trip, there were some positives. Um, first and foremost, there were good pitching 
performances. Uh, Max Scherzer, who is starting to look like Max Scherzer. He's starting to get into that rhythm. Um, you know, pitching every five days, no more tackiness on his fingers, no more, you know, back soreness, knock on wood. Um, none of that's been, um, you know, occurring recently. And and he's been pitching every five days and he's looked good. Uh, you know, his home start against Cleveland, uh, we recorded uh, on the 19th. So um, on the 21st, uh, he went six innings, allowed hits, no runs, walked uh, one and struck out five. Uh, again, that was against the Guardians. And then on the 26th against Colorado, he went seven innings, six hits, allowed one run, which was a home run to uh, Charlie Blackman, walked none, struck out eight, arguably uh, his greatest performance uh, to date th- thus far this season. Um, really, really liked what I saw from Max Scherzer. Um, he's got that um, that zip again on that slider, um, which is so important for him in order to get swing and misses. I believe that he was able to accumulate north of 20 uh, swing and misses um, throughout the entirety of that ball game against um, Colorado. So that was really, um, again, an excellent performance from him. And then uh, Carlos Carrasco, again, you know, he's been mainly bad this year, right? Um, with that said, he has been injured. Um, he had the bone spur incident where caused inflammation in his elbow. We weren't sure if he was going to get shut down for the season, but, um, he has returned and listen in his first start back, literally the night that we recorded the day that we recorded, we Rob was literally headed off to the game. He saw, um, an awesome, awesome win. Uh, you know, the Mets pulled one off 10 to nine. The offense really won that game, but he went five innings and his return allowed five hits, um, gave up five runs, walked two and struck out three. However, his start against the Cubs, uh, really good. He pitched into the seventh inning. We know that that has not necessarily been a frequent occurrence this season. Mets pitchers, starting pitchers, uh, heading into the seventh and eighth inning. Carrasco on the 25th went uh, six and two thirds, allowed five hits, one earned run, two walks, and four Ks. So again, there were some good and there were some bad, especially when it comes to the pitching. And the pitching for the for the most most part has been the issue thus far this season. Now we're getting Verlander throwing every five days. Hopefully Carrasco can now do the same. The Mets do have a weird schedule in June, so some guys will be getting extra rest. That does benefit the likes of Scherzer and Verlander and Asenga, um, who's used to a six-man rotation as well as some of the older guys. Um, but again, the pitching, we saw the good, we saw the bad, and and we just really need it to hope that it continues because... Uh, you know, as you saw in Colorado, the Mets can put up seven and 10 runs respectively, but if they don't get good starting pitching, they cannot win. Sanga has looked good. He's been a little strange. Um, the start that he did, uh, pitching Colorado, I will note after throwing his best game, uh, on the 17th against Tampa Bay, where he struck out 12, um, on the 24th, um, against the Cubs. 106 pitches over five innings. He allowed six hits, only gave up three runs, so kept the Mets in the game. But he walked five and struck out. So again, the walks are a concern when it comes to Kodai Sanga, um, and that trend is kind of continuing for him. Quite frankly, the bats just came alive uh, over the last four games, and I, and, I, and I think that that is really the silver lining that we have to take out of it, aside from the few that I mentioned in the Scherzer and the Carrasco. But 
In their final four games of the road trip, despite going two and two, the Mets put up 10 runs, five, seven, and 10 runs again, respectively. Um, a lot of different players contributed, and that's something that is very positive for the Mets, considering a lot of the heavy lifting was being done by the likes of Brandon Nimmo and Pete Alonzo and Francisco Lindor um, and even a Jeff McNeil. And that's really been it, right? Thankfully, we've seen Francisco Alvarez blossom into, again, knock on wood, fingers crossed, a star, which I will talk about um, in further depth in a little bit. Jeff McNeil has been hitting. Tommy Pham has been hitting when he's been playing. And Eduardo Escobar uh, has really kind of turned the page. And ever since the call up from Brett Beatty, it's almost been like a little kick in the kick in the rear end for him. And um, we've seen him at second base quite a bit. Um, and, and he's been manning the position pretty well. Um, and, and again, I think that's good versatility. And I think that's why it makes some of the other players on the roster, um, maybe like a Daniel Vogelbach spendable. Um, and again, I will talk about that, but just kind of where we're at in terms of, you know, what we saw, uh, there were massive performances all over the weekend. Um, Pete Alonso is now up to 20 home runs. He leads the major leagues. He's got 149 weighted runs created plus, um, he's worth 1.7 war thus far. Um, Brandon Nimmo had a massive, massive road trip. Um, again, he always seems to tear it up when he goes to Colorado. He had all of his friends and family from Wyoming come in as per usual uh, when he's over there. Uh, Nimmo on the season, uh, 306 average, 392 on base, 451 slugging percentage. Uh, he leads the team in war, accumulated thus far, 2.1 war. Um, he's got four home runs, and again, He's walking at an 11.2% clip that is tied with Pete Alonso for the highest in the ball club. Um, and Brandon Nimmo, again, is just blossoming into a star. Uh, we saw even what his glove does, um, you know, for for the team ultimately uh, the other day when Nimmo DH'd and Starling Marte was out in center field, which, again, granted, he was shifted over to the right side and um, you know, the hit towards left center field, but I think that's a ball that Nimmo would have been able to track down. So um, again, really big road trip from Nimmo. Eduardo Escobar is another one over his last seven games, 333 with a 375 on base percentage and a 400 slugging percentage, really embracing, um, you know, that role now that he can come off the bench and pitch hit and then also make those spot starts at third and at second base. Um, a Starling Marte as well, who really, really has gotten off to a rough start, has heard boos. Uh, the only positive thus far this season has been that he's been uh, a regular when it comes to the stolen bit, uh, base game. Um, he's turned it around as well. He's starting to hit better over his last 15 games. Um, he has 14 hits and 49 at-bats, 286, 352 on base percentage, 388 slugging percentage, um, and he's got a home run, eight RBIs to boot within that um, uh, time frame as well. He's now up to 14 stolen bases on the year. Hopefully he can crack that 30 mark. And again, that on-base percentage now is over 300. I just want to start seeing those extra base hits come in. He's got... Uh, Four doubles, one triple, and two home runs on the year. So, um, you know, right now he's currently got seven extra base hits for the, on the season. Uh, I would love to see Marte uh, beef that up because looking at the batting order, even from tonight's ball game uh, that we're heading into, you know, listen, it, it's a it's a good lineup, and the lineup has changed even since we've last spoken. But 
looking at the lineup right now tonight, it's Nimmo, Alvarez, Lindor, Alonzo, Vientos, Marte, McNeil, Fam, Escobar, and then Sanga's on the mound. Just putting it into perspective, think about that lineup, given how certain players are performing, and then a 2022 version of Starling Marte inserted into that order. So again, fingers crossed. Hopefully Marte continues to, um, you know, ramp it up because he's um, looked very well. Um, and then another guy, Tommy Pham, who I really think I don't want him to be taking at bats away necessarily from Mark Canna. Um, they're two very similar players aside from the fact that Canna can dabble at first base a little bit. Um, but Tommy Pham, we're starting to see those balls fall. Um, he had a massive series um, in Colorado as well as well as in Chicago. Over his last seven games, he's hitting 350 with a 49 on base percentage. That's something that we haven't seen from Pham. Um, if he can get that eye under control a little bit more, we know that he strikes out quite a bit, swings and misses quite a bit. Um, if he can recognize the strike zone, um, a little bit greater and work counts and continue to be that productive outfielder defensively. I think there's definitely a case to be made for uh, Tommy Pham getting some ABs over, uh, you know, Mark Canna moving forward. Francisco Lindor is having uh, such a strange season. Uh, last note about the offense here. He hit a home run yesterday that, um, began to uh, you know, propel the Mets towards a comeback, which obviously fell short. But he's got nine home runs, okay? 39 RBIs, which is amongst the top 10 um, in the major leagues. Uh, he does have 15 doubles, which is amongst the top 15 in baseball as well. Um, with that said, um, he is hitting 225. He is also uh, getting on base at a 295 clip, which is Quite concerning, uh, down from his 339 clip of last year. Um, also, that average was 270 last year. It is now at 225. Um, I love what I'm seeing when it comes to the extra base hits. Um, it also looks like he has a pretty good um, balance between launch angle and, and trying to spray the ball um, to all different parts of the field. With that said, um, he's chasing. A lot more. Um, and he, as a result, he's striking out um, at a massive clip. He has struck out 53 times already in 54 games. Um, it's nearly a quarter of his at bats that he's striking out, more than a quarter of his bat at bats that he's striking out. But again, the fact that he's slugging 423 shows that when he's hitting the ball, he's making an impact and he's hitting the ball far and he's you know, totaling up those bases where um, exactly, you know, that 270 average will come from. He's got to kind of buckle down a little bit. He's got to work with Mr. Barnes um, off the field a little bit to try to figure out how to lay off some of those pitches down um, and inside, especially when he's batting lefty. This season, him from the left side of the plate, um, he just hasn't looked as comfortable. Um, you know, even in, I mean, when Cleveland, he was definitely um, predominantly, um, you know, a, a left-handed, uh, you know, machine this year. 
Uh, and even since he's been with the Mets, you know, he's hit, uh, he's, he's a 219 hitter uh, against right-handed hitter, uh, right-handed pitching uh, with a 294 on base percentage. Um, you know, that's 20 points when it comes to the average, that's 20 points less um, than him when he faces left-handed pitching. So just kind of goes to show he's a much better right-handed hitter than he is left-handed hitter um, right now. With all that said, until Francisco Lindor stops hitting these home runs, until he stops driving the ball down the line and into the gaps for extra base hits, until he stops drawing his walks, I won't complain. If he ends up hitting 30 home runs, drives in over 100, has a 230 uh, average, and gets on base at a 300 clip, if the Mets win, will I complain? No, but we, I want to see that on base percentage up. Um, that is key for me. At the end of the season, he can hit 30 home runs, drive in 100, hit 220 for all I care. But if you get on base at a 350 clip and hit 30 doubles along with those 30 home runs, you're bound to have an OPS over 800. Um, so again, just get on base. We know that you're getting extra base hits at a much higher clip than you are singles. That's fine, Frankie. Um Let's just see you get on base at a higher clip. Again, the power's been there. It's been strange, you know, his last 30 games, five home runs, 21 RBIs, um, but a 228 average and 267 on base percentage. Outside of these last six games, obviously the Mets starting pitching has been a concern. In terms of Max Scherzer, obviously Scherzer has really turned it around. And, um, you know, just kind of speaking upon some of his advanced metrics, He's still getting hit um, a little bit harder. Uh, with that said, um, he is getting up there. He is in the 68th percentile in hard hit percentage. Um, and he is starting to get the whiff percentage up at 61%. Again, he started off um, in a really, really poor relation this season, really out of rhythm um, and not being able to throw every five days, having the suspension, having a couple injury bugs. But again, he's lowered his ERA to 354. Uh, he's got a 464 FIP, which obviously indicates he's getting hit a little bit harder than his ERA shows. But again, um, he's starting to, I think, learn how to work and pitch with non-97, 98 mile per hour stuff. Um while he can still dial it up to 95, 96 miles per hour, right now he's throwing that four-seamer around 93, 94, 95 miles per hour. We saw 95, um, you know, quite a bit against Colorado as well as against Cleveland, but then we kind of saw it go down. What I think is really um, apparent, and I don't necessarily have the figures in front of me, but... Um, the elevation when it comes to uh, his percentile rankings in curve and, and fastball spin um, has been a very big indicator. And when I was kind of following the games over the weekend uh, via StatCast, um, his spin rates uh, were much higher um, or not necessarily much higher, but just kind of aligned with what we've seen in the past. Um, when it comes to his slider, when it comes to his curve, when it comes to his spin. Right now, his fastball spin is sitting in the 85, 85th percentile, and his curve spin is within the 88th percentile. In his outing against Colorado, he threw 102 pitches, um, you know, mainly was a focusing in on that fastball, also did dial, you know, uh, mix in cutters and change ups, uh, as well as a few sliders and curveballs. Um, 
But again, you know, he dialed it up and the fastball was able to hit 95.8 miles per hour. So round that up to 96. He was able to top out at 96 against Colorado. Um, so again, I, I think that there's really good signs to to uh, look at when it comes to Max Scherzer in particular, when it comes to the staff. And I think just the fact that he's getting on a rhythm, if he can stay healthy, you can see it in his stuff. It's got a lot more crispness to it. Um, he's following through a lot better. He's repeating his motion better. His release point is coming out. This, um, and again, all is looking good when it kind of comes to Max Scherzer. Fingers crossed. Right now, I'm kind of putting Carlos Carrasco in that same pile as Tyler McGill. Give me five, six innings. Let up two runs, three runs at most, just to keep the, the team in the game. That's obviously not what you want two out of your five starting pitchers just to kind of keep you in the game, especially when you're paying one of them 14 plus million dollars in Carlos Carrasco. But again, that option was picked up. Um, and again, he is back after his, um, you know, rough, rough first outing uh, coming off the IL against Cleveland where he went five and gave up five really bounced back nicely and went six and two thirds against the Cubs, allowing one earned run, as I mentioned on the road trip, um, he only threw 100 pitches in six and two-thirds, which was really um, something that was good. He was able to not walk batters um, and avoid those high um, you know, pitch counts and also really e equally distributed his pitches. He threw 35 change-ups. He threw 33 fastballs, 22 curveballs, and 10 sliders um, to really kind of pivot um, you know, from his normal uh, game plan, which is, you know, fastballs and sliders predominantly he kind of shied away from his slider um uh really utilized that change up which you know as he's gotten older he has used more and more which we do know um carrasco we just need to get into a rhythm and, and again i'm putting him in a class of just give me five six innings but after winning 15 games last year and posting an era under four in 30 starts in 2022 and given carrasco's track record we know what Carrasco can do. It's a matter of if he's healthy, um, if his VLO is there, and if he has that spin and that cut on his pitches. If he doesn't, then he's then he's going to have a problem. And to me, the more times that Carlos Carrasco can go out there every fifth, every sixth day, repeat that delivery, get those swing and misses, because we know that last year he had a high whiff percentage, had a high chase rate, despite having a low K percentage. And that's because he's able to divvy up all those pitches. And when he has the correct spin on those pitches, when he has the correct command on those pitches, they are very, very lethal. Short and sweet on Sanga. Everything's looked pretty decent. The fastball, 96, 97, 98 miles per hour, even up to 99. The velocity has been good. He's been switching up all of his pitchers, the cutter, the change up, the slider, the fork ball, the curveball, everything has looked very, very good. Spin bridges, whip percentages, K percentages, all within 75th percentile and above. The one concern, and I'll just keep it brief, as I mentioned, his walk percentage is within the seventh percentile in baseball. Um, he is amongst the worst when it comes to putting free men on base. Um as shown in his start against uh, against Chicago. Only gave up three runs across five innings, threw 100-plus pitches, struck out six, but walked five. We need more length. We saw it when he went six and struck out 12 against Tampa Bay. We've seen him go seven as well. 
we need Kodai to get that command under control. And it starts tonight against Philadelphia. And, and I think Philly will be a good matchup for him. Last but not least, Tyler McGill. Um, again, our five starter, he'll be the one to get the boot unless, you know, Carrasco completely implodes once Jose Quintana comes back, assuming Quintana comes back. Um, McGill has looked so sharp and has looked so poor at times. Uh, he is an enigma. Um, as I mentioned earlier, he's got a combined seven and two thirds um, of an inning. His previous two starts against the Cubs and the Rockies. Um, he is now five and three on the season with a 467 ERA um, and a 529 FIP. Um, he is currently not posted a plus war um, in 11 starts thus far. He's giving up 1.3 home runs per nine innings. Um, the ground ball rate has 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 been there so keeping the ball on the ground but again he's been getting hit hard um mcgill currently is in the 60th percentile when it comes to hard hit percentage um it's kind of apparent to me that if tyler mcgill is not commanding his secondary stuff without that 97 98 99 mile per hour fastball that he showed early on in 2022 it's going to be hard for McGill to pitch deep into games. And that doesn't, that's not me saying that I don't think Tyler McGill um, is going to be an effective pitcher. I definitely think he can be a five in our rotation and hopefully a six once, once we get Quintana back. Um, and even if we decide to go with a five, when Quintana comes back, McGill can be that uh, Trevor Williams from last year. Right. But again, McGill is somebody that if he doesn't have his, his, plus 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 fastball um or if his off-speed pitches whether it be his slider his dip or his curve um you know are inconsistent you know in his last start um you know he was getting hit hard um on on the changeup and on the fastball hitters are hitting 327 this year on the fastball and 273 against his changeup He's holding hitters again uh, to a 192 batting average against on the on the slider, um, which is a good indication of him being able to keep the ball away. But again, him only being within the 18th percentile in K percentage, as well as the 31st percentile in whiff percentage, um, shows that hitters are uh, barreling up the ball and uh, putting the ball in play, hitting the ball hard, and again unless he's able to find that spin, find that, find that uh, velo that we saw early on last year, it's going to be difficult, especially without prime, prime, a grade uh, off speed stuff, because he's going to have a hard time getting hitters to swing and miss. So somebody uh, DM me the other day on Instagram and asked, why are we losing to bad teams and uh, beating good teams? Uh, well, I have no answer for you. Um, if you're new to being a Mets fan, you know that this is nothing new. Um, it is extremely frustrating. Obviously, you know, losing four of six to the Cubs and this isn't the first time we've seen um, the struggles to the sub 500 teams. We saw them lose two of three against um, the Rockies at home, as well as on the road against the Reds and on the road against the Nationals as well. Again, I don't have the answer, but two 
particular, yes, Buckshaw Walter maneuvers that uh, kind of may have contributed to um, the Mets losing. Um, two Buckshaw Walter maneuvers in general. Um, again, when you are facing sub 500 teams, um, you have to take advantage. And currently the Mets are not taking advantage. And there are a few moves that Buck Showalter has um, contributed to. And again, this is not on Buck Showalter because at the end of the day, if the starters are giving up five, six runs, it's really hard to put that pressure on your offense to score five plus runs every night, right? Um, it's really hard to put pressure on your starters for th- chucking up zeros for, for six, seven, eight, nine innings as well, right? But there has to be a a happy medium, right? And two instances in particular over the road trip that I just wanted to note on the 23rd, um, Buck Showalter left Tyler McGill in for the fourth inning after getting shelled through uh, three. Um, the game was still within reach. The Mets did end up losing seven to two. He wound up giving up six runs in total, but bringing him back out for the fourth was a real head scratcher to me. Um, again, I know that you're trying to conserve your bullpen, especially considering you don't know what the weather brings. The Mets have had, uh, quite a few double headers. We have quite a few pitchers on the shelves. We don't have a lot of depth in the minor leagues. That's on Billy Epler. Um, but to bring Tyler McGill back in for the fourth inning, when the game was still within reach, when he was getting shelled early on, um, again, I think was was a mistake. And then again, another McGill start. Um, Mets lost 11 to 10. Tyler McGill did not have his good stuff, gave up six runs, four of them earned over four innings. He was lifted. Um, Steven Nagosik comes in. The Mets blew a six to two lead. Tyler McGill blew that. Um, you know, the defense didn't help either, but he blew that. But bringing Steven Nagosik in, given his struggles um, on the homestand, um, and then in Chicago, and then again on Sunday in a tie game, 6-6 um, against a Rockies team who we know can hit. I mean, any Rocky team can hit at Courts Field. And Nagosik had and gives up five runs, two home runs. Um, but again, the Mets put up 10 runs, and there were two separate home runs given up by Nagosik. And Buck Showalter had nobody up warming. Uh, Steven Nagosik was out there to dry. Um, and then it was going to be, uh, you know, somebody else's turn in the sixth, but that was Steven Nagosik's inning to get through the game was so in hand. And obviously Buck probably said, Hey, you know, if the Rockies can put up a five, uh, can put up X amount of runs here in this ballpark, we can too. We just did, and we can do it again, but Nagosik not have it immediately put everybody on base gave up three runs initially, and then Buck still, with nobody warming, um, leaves Nagosik out. Um, Nagosik gives up those five runs, and ultimately one of them was the deciding run, um, and the Mets ended up falling 11-10 to 10 as they did come back, um, but ultimately fell. So again, it's not all on Buck, right? Nagosik, I believe, belongs in the minor leagues. Um, he doesn't have another option, so he would have to clear waivers. I think he might be the next to be DFA'd. Uh, something to keep an eye on over the coming days. Um, but again, 
this is an entire team effort from, you know, the bench to the bullpen to the managerial app. And we've seen some weird, questionable moves from Buck Walter thus far. And again, we're not blaming him. He's been strapped with kind of uh, shit that's been given to him by Billy Epler. Um, but again, if you can tell a pitcher doesn't have it, take him out. Uh, for a team that's in an all-win mode, I understand it's a long season, but just a year ago, Buck Showalter in April and May and June was were saying, you know, where it was answering questions from the press about, you know, a pitcher's workload or, um, you know, a reliever's a, a number of appearances. You know, his response would be, well, we'll worry about it tomorrow. Um, so, again, bringing Stephen Agosik in, who's now pitching to a 633 ERA and a 647 FIP kind of shows you everything you need to know. Um, so again, just need to be smarter about some of these, um, you know, managerial maneuvers, um, especially in tight games, because these are the games that we have to win. Um, and now we're, you know, going to be facing the likes of the Phillies and the Blue Jays and the Braves and a, and a, you know, competitive team in the Pirates and, you know, we're going to have to pick up the pieces because right now, obviously, things are um, in a little bit of a mess. So how good is Francisco Alvarez? Well, um, he is hitting 269 with a 327 on base percentage and slugging 558. That's good for an 885 OPS. Currently has eight home runs, 19 RBIs. He's got 142 weighted runs created, plus a 1.4 war and in and is in the 90th percentile in max exit velo. Did I cover it all? Oh, okay. Um, amongst catchers with 100 at-bats, he is third in weighted runs created plus. He is tied for third with home runs. And he is fourth in WOBA, um, all according to fan graphs. Defensively, uh, this according to baseball savant, he is in the 67th percentile in pop time to second base the 84th percentile in framing. He made a comment the other day um, saying that he actually felt bad sometimes because he noticed that he's stealing strikes. He is damn good at it. Keep doing it, Francisco. Um, and then amongst catchers with 250 innings caught, this all according to fan graphs, he is fifth in defensive war, 5.2 war, and he is tied for first in defensive run saves, and he is fourth in framing. Again, that to fan graph. So again, how good is he? He is very good. Um, he is very good. And all of a sudden we are seeing um, not only what he can do at the, at necessarily with the bat, right? He's got eight home runs. He's slugging uh, 558. He's got an OPS of 885. Okay. What we're starting to see is we're starting to see him draw his walks. We're starting to see him see his pitches and not look antsy at the plate. Last year into this year, he just looked overmatched at the dish, looking to go up there, just seeking for that ball to be into the third deck at City Field or wherever they're playing. You can now say, see that he's going up there with an approach, and that approach is paying off for him at the plate. He hits the ball harder than many that I've seen. Um, his max exit uh, velo this year um, his top has been 113.6 miles per hour. Um, what we're seeing from him right now, I think that we're seeing a budding star 
in the making. To me, he reminds me of um, Pudge Rodriguez. And I know that you're going to say, you know, that's a, whether it be a high comparison or just from his, his frame um, and the way that he swings his bat, also the way that he pops up and guns in the, the second, um, the way that he's not afraid to throw behind runners um, after pitches, he's got, he's got that type of mentality in him. And now you're hearing that veteran pitchers are saying that the Mets better not send him down. Our Narvaez is due back next week. I believe, I personally believe that Tomas Nino will be DFA'd or they will dabble him in a trade or he'll go on to the Phantom IL with another eye injury or whatever. Um, but Francisco Alvarez is not going anywhere. Um, when you are hitting the ball like that uh, within a lineup that is struggling mightily in certain categories, um, it's of the utmost importance. And the fact that he is not only hitting the ball like he is. And and the other thing too is he's hitting balls that are inside. He's breaking pitches on the outside part of the plate. He's taking fastballs that are up in the zone and knocking them over the wall in left field. He's taking breaking pitches like his first home run that he hit this year, sliders up in the zone and mashing them as well. Again, as I said, he's poking things to the opposite field. There's a lot of things that we're seeing differently from him. He's taking pitches straight back up the middle. Um, he is so good, and at 21 years old, the the potential is is limitless. I mean, during the month of May, he hit 309 with a 382 on base percentage and slugged 706. That's good for a 1088 OPS. He hit seven home runs, 17 RBIs. Again, he still has two games to go here in the month. Um, so it's hard for me to say what I'm about to say after literally a month, but I think given the hype, I think given the raw talent that you see, as well as the comparisons that you've heard from top-notch uh, scouts and talent evaluators throughout the league, I think there are only a handful of other catchers that are better than him right now, especially because of this defensive component now that all of a sudden has come on. You know, we thought that he was just a bat right? We heard for so long that the Mets weren't calling him up because his catching abilities weren't on par with his hitting abilities. Well, now veteran pitchers love pitching to him. He is tied for the defensive run save. He is within the top five in defensive war. Um, his framing abilities are outstanding and that's taking him to the next level. And again, at 21, it's scary to think of how good he could be, but knock on wood, Holy shit! I the Mets may have a uh, a superstar on their hands. Before we dive into the upcoming home end, just a little bit about about the DH situation. It's been a topic of conversation. Um, a lot of people have been calling for the designation of assignment, um, if that is what you call it, um, of Daniel Vogelbach. Um, yes, we know that Vogie can get on base. Um, but he is not providing much at all, um, when it comes to, um, slugging from the left side, from the left-handed side of the plate over his last 15 games, he's only hit one home run. Um, he's hitting 150 with a 292 on base percentage, uh, within that span, he has walked eight times. Um, but again, he's now had 103 plate appearances, 
while he does have a 360 on base percentage, which obviously is incredible, his OPS is 680. His slugging percentage is 320. So he's so he's not slugging. He's only got four doubles and two home runs. Um, while I'm not ready to go ahead and cut him unless it's absolutely apparent and we need to bring somebody up right now, um, unless Mauricio's coming up right now or, you know, whatever. Um, I feel like Eduardo Escobar should be getting some of these left-handed DH at-bats um, opposed to Daniel Vogelbach. You want guy base, right? And that's an integral part of Daniel Vogelbach's game. And that is a big reason why we got him last year. But being a one-dimensional player, being that he can only DH, if he's just going to stare at pitches all day, then you may as well have an Eduardo Escobar in there at DH so that if a left-hander does come in, you don't have to burn the bench and you could just flip Eduardo Escobar around and have him uh, hit from the right side of the plate. Um, That would allow you to bring somebody else into the equation that may offer a little bit more than Daniel Vogelbach. I'm a big Daniel Dan Vogelbach fan. Um, I really love his enthusiasm surrounding the Mets. You can tell that enjoys um, being a New York Met. Um, but he's struggling and it's not, and it's not undeniable. Um, you know, his strikeout percentage right now is uh, 25.6%. Um, he only has 101 weighted runs created plus. So again, for a team that's 27 and 27 right this instant on May 30th, unless you're calling up Ronnie Mauricio, I don't think there's a reason to designate him for assignment. The one thing that I have an issue with that I've tweeted a million times and I've mentioned it um, over on our Instagram page as well is that if Mark Vantos is up, he's a top prospect. Mark Vantos has faced right-handed pitching and left-handed pitching very effectively throughout the minor leagues. And just like tonight with Eduardo Escobar starting over at third base over Brett Beatty, Buck Showalter still playing the platoon game when it comes to the kids. And again, I think Escobar should take some ABs away from Vogelbach, left-handed DH, but I also think there's a much bigger case to be made to say that, hey, if Mark Vientos is on the major league roster, he should be DHing every day. You're doing him a disservice. Somebody who's accumulated four or 500 plate appearances per year, 350, 400, whatever it is in the minor leagues. Someone who's accumulated that many plate appearances per season, um, you know, is used to playing every day, hitting both right-handed and left-handed pitching. If he's only starting one or two games per week, which is what he's been doing up until the last game of the road trip or two games, uh, you know, before the end of the road trip where Buck said that he planned on playing him three straight games and he's in the lineup tonight against the left-hander. But I think there's a case to be made that right now here on May 30th, Mark Vianto should be playing against right-handed pitching and left-handed pitching. I think there's also a, a case to be made that if a, you know, if, if Buck keeps wanting to play this BS platoon game again, if is it coming from Buck? Is it coming from Billy? I don't know, but wants if they want to continue doing that, 
I think they should give Escobar some more plate appearances over, over Vogue. Um, again, that completely means that Vogel box spot is useless. So take what you want with that. Again, I'm a Vogelbach fan, but at the end of the day, if he's not hitting home runs, um, and if he's not hitting for extra base hits, I don't necessarily see a reason to hold him considering we have Brett Beatty up um, and we have an Eduardo Escobar on the bench who can kind of do a little bit of everything. And we have other pieces, again, that can DH, uh, a.k.a. Mark Fiantos. As we wrap up here, episode eight of the Couple Mets Pass season two, just a little preview. The Mets begin a three-game set tonight with the Philadelphia Phillies. We'll be out there. We're heading over there as soon as we conclude this and chuck it up on Spotify and on YouTube. Um, but just a preview, Kodai Sanga uh, will head up against Ranger Suarez tonight. Uh, tomorrow evening, it'll be Carlos Carrasco against Aaron Nola. On Thursday, uh, 1-10 game, afternoon game, we'll see our old buddy Taiwan Walker. Um, Max Scherzer gets the ball in that game. And then we welcome in the Toronto Blue Jays for three. The Blue Jays are currently sitting at 28 and 26 in that tough American League East. Um, not sure who's going to go for them. I heard that we'll be seeing our old buddy Chris Bassett as well. Really wish the Mets re-signed Chris Bassett, but whatever. Um, Justin Verlander, I believe, will throw on Friday with Tyler McGill on Saturday. And then on Sunday, I believe it'll be probably Kodai Senga, um, unless it's a spot starter or something like that, given the Mets have a day off on uh, that Monday. And then the Mets head to Atlanta uh, for three against the Braves. Should be a very entertaining series. And then they head to Pittsburgh uh, for three from June 9th to June 11th. Rob and I will be back for episode nine of season two on Monday, June 5th. For Ian Bosniak, thank you very much for joining. Again, it's the Cup of Mets guest. Give us a follow on Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. We are at Cup of Mets. Also, be sure to follow and subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your favorite podcast content. And again, for the Cup of Mets podcast, good night, everybody.